This episode is brought to you by Hover. It's never too late to step up to the plate and share what you have to offer. If you have a brand that you've always dreamt about building or a business you want to take online, the first step is finding your domain name. Hover makes it super simple with a clear and straightforward user experience, easy to use tools, and truly amazing support from friendly humans. You can buy a domain, set up custom email boxes, and point it to your website in just a few clicks. I just did it last week. If you're ready to get your idea off the ground with the perfect domain name, head on over to hover.com slash hurry slowly to get 10% off your first Hover purchase. Once again, that's hover.com slash hurry slowly to get 10% off. I'm Jocelyn K. Gly, and this is Hurry Slowly, a podcast about personal and collective transformation. It's been a little while, and I am so excited to be back with you for a brand new 10-episode season that's going to run from this October through next April. So last season, we explored the question of how do we begin again? As we started to emerge from the deep isolation and reflection of the first waves of the pandemic with a bunch of new realizations that we needed to figure out how to integrate. And now for this next season, we're going to go a little deeper. We're going to explore the theme of coming home. So digging into all the layers of the idea of home. What does it mean to plant roots and build a foundation? What does it mean to reconnect with your roots and with your ancestral lineage? What does it mean to come home to the body? And what are the ways in which we engage with certain habits or media that keep us from feeling safe in our bodies? What does it mean to belong? And I have to tell you that this theme is feeling incredibly salient for me personally right now. And I'm going to talk more about it in a moment as part of today's reflection. But first, I want to share a few quick housekeeping notes. You may have noticed that there was an ad at the beginning of this episode, which is a change from last season when I tried to go ad-free and shift to a donations-only model. And although I did receive many donations from kind listeners, it turns out that it wasn't enough to cover my production costs for this podcast, which means that I am returning to a sponsorship model so that I can continue to keep bringing you this show. I do love experimenting, but the thing about experimenting is that experiments don't always work out. So here we are. I will be continuing to accept donations for the show at hurryslowly.co slash donations. And if you want to make one, I would really appreciate it. And just so you really understand how things work behind the scenes here and what the costs are, I wanted to also note that aside from my time and the time of my producers, I've also started paying every Hurry Slowly guest a small honorarium to participate on the program. And this is something that I started last season. At a certain point, I just didn't feel right about continuing to ask these incredibly accomplished people to share their wisdom in exchange for quote unquote exposure. So I decided to introduce a new model that feels more equitable, which is all sort of a long way of saying if you do donate to Hurry Slowly, a portion of that donation will go directly towards supporting our guests in their valuable work. And then lastly, before I wrap up this little newsreel here at the top, I want to let you know that I'm going to talk about a brand new six-week course that I'm offering at the tail end of this episode. And this course is all about the concept of what I call tender discipline 
which is essentially about centering humanity rather than productivity in everything that we do. It's an idea that I've been developing for many years. Longtime listeners might recall first hearing the phrase tender discipline in a 2019 episode called Who Are You Without the Doing? And in many ways, this idea of tender discipline and this six-week course is the culmination of everything that I've learned over the past 13 or so years. It condenses everything that I know about breaking free from the bondage of a toxic focus on productivity so that you can step into an approach to life and to work that's sweeter, more tender, and more rewarding. So stay till the end of this episode for more on that, or you can visit tenderdiscipline.com to learn more. Now let's plunge back into this topic of feeling at home. And then we're going to come full circle back to tender discipline again at the end, because of course, that tenderness starts and ends with feeling at home, feeling at home in the body, at home with your routines, and at home with how much you can realistically expect from yourself. But this is the question that I want to start with today. Do you ever get that feeling that you just want to light everything on fire? Right? Strike the match and throw it on the pyre of everything in your life that you've done so far. And then just turn and walk away. That sounds liberating, doesn't it? Well, it turns out that I got that burning feeling again this past spring. That yearning to light my existing persona on fire. To light this podcast on fire. To light everything that I didn't like about my past selves on fire, which is, to be really honest, pretty hard to do in this day and age. In the age of the internet, how do you erase your past selves? Well, one way to do it is to change your name, which is exactly what I was thinking about doing. I even had a new name all picked out that was honestly much sexier than my existing name, but I'm not going to tell you what it is just in case I you know, need it in the future for a pseudonym or for something else. But anyway, the name change was only one part of it. I had this whole reinvention plan. I was going to change my name. Me and my partner were going to move to the desert in New Mexico. And I was going to step into the next level of my life's work. Basically, I was going to reincarnate myself as someone new. And because I'd be in a new place, a place, by the way, that feels really spiritual, it would be easy to become that new someone. And I would just magically not have all of my past baggage. That was how the thinking went anyway. Obviously, as I'm describing this, it's already starting to sound a little bit untenable, perhaps. But let me play the story out. So in preparation for this move, I decided to take a two-month sabbatical in New Mexico to scope out the area. I also had plans to work on a new book I want to write and to meet some people and just, you know, kind of generally reinvent myself. So no pressure, just work on a book, build a new community and reinvent myself. So perhaps not surprisingly, when I arrived in New Mexico, I was promptly paralyzed by all the expectations that I had set for myself about this supposed reinvention that I was going to accomplish. I also happened to arrive at the same time that the state was experiencing the biggest wildfire ever in its history, which burned the entire time that I was there over two months. 
which was due to both extreme drought conditions and a sort of relentless spate of incredibly strong spring winds. So it was a pretty unsettling atmosphere to be in. And this whole light everything on fire metaphor that I was working with was starting to not feel so liberating anymore. As often happens, it turned out that my work in the desert for the sabbatical was a little bit different than what I had anticipated. A lot of the work simply involved letting go of my expectations and just starting to relax into my environment as a first step before anything else could really happen. And I find that again and again, this is always my work to release the rather daunting expectations I've built up for myself so that whatever is actually present in the moment can unfold. Expectations are the enemy of presence, and it's a lesson that I never seem to be finished learning. But I did eventually settle into the desert. I just love the majestic, unforgiving nature of the landscape there and the fact that 80% of the view is always sky. And I soaked up a lot of what I started thinking of as sun wisdom. And then I came back to upstate New York where I had only just moved about three years ago in 2019. And I began preparing with my partner to get our house ready to sell so that we could move to New Mexico. I'd even already found a beautiful house to lease in New Mexico without even really trying. It had just sort of fallen into my lap. So it was really feeling like the stars were aligning for this plan. Mind you, our house here in the woods in upstate New York was built in 1922. So it has its fair share of quirks, which meant that my partner and I had our work pretty much cut out for us in terms of fixing up the house and prepping it for staging as they say in the real estate world. And one of the things that we had been doing was renovating this tiny 200-square-foot cabin that's on the property. Ever since I had bought the place back in 2019, I had wanted to renovate this cabin, but it had just never been a priority. And for some reason, whenever my partner and I would talk about it, the situation would just get kind of tense. So we generally tried to avoid the subject of the cabin. But now that we were motivated to sell the house, we had finally hired someone to help us renovate it. And it was coming together at the same time as my partner and I were furiously sprucing up the main house, taking care of all those little bits and bobs that we had been neglecting, you know, resealing the leaky flashing around the chimney pipe, fixing that rotten wood framing around the porch, replacing bathroom cock, and just painting and painting and painting. And the house was starting to look better, but we were getting more exhausted by the day. And we were both neglecting our work to spend our days fixing up years worth of neglected housing repairs and just starting to wonder how were we going to get it all done? Like, was it even possible? And then suddenly this little cabin out in the yard, the only part that someone besides us was working on was almost finished. And... I walked out into the yard to check it out after the contractor had left one day. I remember it was a Friday afternoon, and I just stood in the cabin, and I looked around, and I thought, I love this space. I want to work in this space. This is the studio that I have always wanted, and I finally have it, and I'm just going to leave? 
And I started to think, well, what if we stayed? What if the whole point of deciding to move to New Mexico was to create this sense of urgency for us to fix up our house and really take care of it the way that we always should have done? What if the point was for me and my partner to learn how to work on the cabin and these other projects without that tension that we were experiencing sometimes? What if we didn't light everything on fire? And I spent the next week sitting with these questions before I brought it up with my partner. I had already sent some misgivings from her about moving, and I knew that if I brought it up, I had to really be open to the idea of staying. So a week later, we went out for a walk, and I gently told her that I was opening to the idea of staying, and I asked what she thought. And it turned out that she was open to it as well. So as we reflected on what to do, kind of torn between this big, bold move that we had committed to and that we had told everyone that we would make, as we reflected, we decided to create a ritual the next night to ask for guidance about what we should do. The question that we were essentially asking the universe during that ritual was, should we stay or should we go? And the answer that I got during that ritual was, as ever, not the answer that I expected. What I came to understand that night was that I did not and that I do not know what being at home actually feels like. I asked the universe, should I go? And it came back with, well, do you even know what it feels like to stay? And the answer I realized is I don't. I have no idea what it feels like to stay or to truly be at home. My family moved for the first time when I was just out of first grade, and then we continued moving every five or six years, if not sooner, for the rest of my life. First, we moved from Virginia to Ohio, where I went to elementary school, then from Ohio to Pennsylvania, where I went to middle school, then from Pennsylvania to Texas, where I went to high school. And then I went to college in Boston while my parents moved back to a different city in Pennsylvania. Then later I moved to New York City after college and my parents moved to St. Louis, Missouri. And I really just continued this trend throughout my adult life. When I lived in New York City, I repeatedly tried to move away. I tried twice to move to LA. And once I tried to move to Portland, Oregon. But I always ended up coming back to the city until I moved here a few years ago. And curiously, when I came here to upstate New York and I bought this house, part of the reason that I did it was because it felt like coming home. The landscape in the Catskill Mountains where I live is a lot like the landscape of the Blue Ridge Mountains where I grew up in Virginia. And it feels a lot like that first home that I had and those woods that I played in all day long before I came to understand that home wasn't something that you could really trust, that you could be uprooted and moved elsewhere at any moment. And as I reflected back on my own lack of understanding of what being at home felt like, because I'd moved around so much as a kid, I realized that I've been unconsciously closing my energy for most of my life because I'm always expecting to move on. So when I move somewhere new, when I enter a new community, I'm never fully open to that place or to the people because I'm afraid to get a little too attached. 
And this pattern has really been a protection mechanism for me for most of my life. So I'm always a little bit closed, always preparing unconsciously to move on to the next place. And here I was about to play out that same pattern again with the move to New Mexico. When I originally moved upstate from the city, a tarot reader that I was working with used a really beautiful metaphor. She said that moving from the city to the woods was going to be like moving from pot to soil, that my nervous system would relax and my roots could finally unfurl and spread out into the ground. How long does it take to grow roots? I'm learning that I don't really know, but I suspect that, like most good things, it takes a while. And when I moved upstate, a friend told me that it takes at least two years to really start to build community. And at the time, I kind of ignored them because that wasn't really what I wanted to hear. And that was also before we knew that there was a global pandemic and all of the isolation that it entailed on the way. But even so, that friend turned out to be right. It took about two and a half years, but me and my partner were finally building community in our town. And we were about to walk away from it all and start over again. So we decided to stay. For the first time in my life, I am staying. And honestly, it feels like a relief. For the first time, I feel like I can really start to open to what's here and to who's here because there isn't a potential move looming over my head. I also decided, as you've probably noticed by now, not to light this podcast on fire. Instead, I decided to simply redesign the podcast badge and the website and to reframe the podcast as being about personal and collective transformation, which I think, in a sense, is what this podcast and my work have always been about. I just didn't know it yet. So that's why Hurry Slowly looks a little different when it's popping up in your podcast feed. It was, I think, really time for a new color palette and a new look. I also decided not to change my name, even though it would have been nice to upgrade Glide to something sexier, but I guess you can't have everything. But on a more serious note, as I sifted through all of my possessions in anticipation of this move that we won't be making, and as I sifted through my feelings about staying and about leaving, and as I sifted through what this podcast means to me and what to keep and what to leave behind, all of this has me thinking about the idea of home and of belonging and of rooting down, not just literally, but metaphysically. Is it possible to archive the self, or at least an old persona? Can you really take old versions of yourself and put them away? whether it's with a name change or a move to a new state or sheer willpower? How much of the past is worth holding on to and how much of it can we leave behind? And how do those choices relate to belonging and feeling at home and the always tantalizing prospect of transformation? Is there a tension between our yearning for belonging and our yearning for transformation? Those are just a few of the questions that I hope to poke at and maybe even illuminate over the course of the next season of Hurry Slowly. In the closing episode of the last season, I interviewed the writer and Indigenous rights activist Sherry Mitchell. 
which was one of my all-time favorite Hurry Slowly conversations. And in it, we talked about how transformation unfolds. And Sherry said that she saw transformation not as this huge aha revelation, but as an ongoing series of challenges and insights and subtle moments that are slowly harmonizing and tuning us to open more fully into our gifts and into our purpose. I just love that metaphor, that each of us is being harmonized and tuned by the universe so that we can eventually be the instrument we were meant to be, to play our song. And I think that's also part of why I couldn't light everything on fire in the end. Because I can see my path unfolding and I can finally see how one thing is leading to another, to another, with some greater purpose. And where I'm being led right now is to teach this new six-week course on tender discipline that I mentioned at the top of this episode. A course that is in many ways the culmination of all of the work that I've been doing for the past 13 years. It takes everything that I learned by immersing myself deep in the study of productivity and creativity for six years at a startup, and everything that I learned after falling into total and complete burnout as a result of that job, and everything that I've learned subsequently about having to rebuild my body and repattern my mindsets and restructure my daily routines in order to work in a way that is more gentle and more expansive and more sustainable. This new Tender Discipline course is, at its core, about how we motivate ourselves. It's about radically reimagining the tools and the ideas that we use to get motivated, to accomplish our goals, and to connect with others. And when I say radically reimagining the tools and ideas we use to get motivated, I'm using the word radical in its original meaning, which is about getting to the root of something, going back to the origins. Returning to first principles, if you will. Shout out, by the way, to Amara Spence for drawing my attention to this meaning of radical in our interview last season. But now let me explain what I mean by going back to the root of our motivations. One of the central ideas of the course is that we now live in a culture that values productivity above all else. And so we put it at the center of everything, our work, our relationships, even the way we treat the earth. And when productivity is at the center of our worldview, it means that things don't have value that we don't have value unless we are doing something, unless we are producing something. Or on the flip side of this capitalistic equation, that we don't have value unless we are consuming or extracting something. Nothing is worthwhile unless we are quote unquote getting something out of it. All of which means that simply existing without doing, without consuming, has no value. Just being yourself can never be enough. And that is the message that is reinforced every single day in a million ways by the culture that surrounds us. So what's the alternative to centering productivity, to worshiping at the altar of doing? Well, with tender discipline, I ask the, I think, radical question what if we centered humanity instead of productivity in our work and in our lives? And I'm not just talking about making a different kind of to-do list here. I'm talking about shifting our perspective right down to the core of our being, getting down to the root of what truly motivates us, 
So shifting at the level of our words, of our thoughts, of our internal dialogue, and then flowing that into our actions. What if we replace this driving, extractive, productivity-focused mindset with a mindset that is compassionate and tender and generative? What would that look like? What would it feel like? How different would the energy we were radiating into the world be? This is what we are going to explore over the course of six weeks in Tender Discipline. At the core of the program are six 90-minute gatherings that will each include a 45-minute talk from me, followed by 45 minutes of guided exercises and group discussion to help you integrate the concepts from the talk. Each talk will focus on opening your mind to one key perspective shift. So for example, shifting from an approach where you motivate yourself by using punishing self-talk or self-criticism to one where you motivate yourself with encouragement and tender acceptance, or shifting from a focus on relentless self-improvement to a focus on operating from a place of grounded self-trust. Or, for instance, shifting from a perspective where every interaction is focused on extraction to one where our interactions are focused on being generative or even regenerative. We'll talk about centering tenderness and how to show up in fullness, how to let go of productivity shame and unplug from this toxic dream of becoming your best self. And we'll also talk about how to recognize your own internal wisdom as a resource, a resource that you can trust. And also why you don't need any more advice or how-to articles or mentors before you're ready to step into your power. And each of these talks and the perspective shifts that I'm going to unpack within them is going to give you a practical framework for reflecting on your thoughts and your words and your actions so that you can begin to explore new behaviors in your work and in your life. I will also be complementing these talks with some light energy work. I'll be leading four guided energy meditations sprinkled throughout the course so that we can explore the concepts that I'm sharing at a deeper level, beyond intellectual knowing, by feeling into how a shift in focus from productivity to humanity might play out within the body itself on an energetic level. So we'll be operating on two levels, the intellectual and the energetic. For those of you who have never taken one of my courses before, Tender Discipline will be a great way to develop a framework for slowing down, for understanding why you fall into certain toxic behaviors, and for beginning to see yourself and those around you with a little more tenderness, all of which has the effect of creating more clarity. Because when we can see things as they are, and we can understand why they are that way, we then have the knowledge to respond to the situation differently and to make a new choice. For those of you who have taken one or many of my courses before, who have participated in Reset or Hi-Fi or Radiate, for you, Tender Discipline is going to be an opportunity to deepen your practice. I'm going to share some concepts that I have teased in those other courses in a richer and more expansive way weaving ideas that I might have touched on briefly before into a more cohesive, comprehensive worldview. Tender Discipline is, in a sense, the culmination of all of the courses that I've created over the past four years. It integrates and expands upon and enlivens all of the ideas that I've talked about before. 
As I said earlier, it's really the synthesis of 13 years of my learning, reflections, and experience. So if you tend to vibe with me and my ideas, you're definitely going to vibe with Tender Discipline. Registration opens today at tenderdiscipline.com. I have to say, discipline is a little bit difficult to type out and spell. So that's T-E-N-D-E-R-D-I-S-C-I-P-L-I-N-E dot com. Tenderdiscipline.com. Registration will be open now through October 14th. And then the course itself will start the week of October 16th and run for six weeks. If you're feeling drawn to this program, I really do hope that you can join me. I am super excited to share all of these new ideas that have been percolating in my brain for such a long time with you. All right, I think that's about it for today. As always, thank you so much for listening. It feels really good to be back for a new season. If you want to stay in touch and hear more about Tender Discipline and other future offerings, you can sign up for my newsletter at hurryslowly.co slash newsletter. Thank you to Matt Susich for producing this episode and to Devin Craig Johnson for audio retouching and to Hover for coming back again as a sponsor. Until next time, remember to hurry slowly.